I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Curious Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first holiday reboot episode for this holiday season. And today we go way back into the archives, all the way back to the first episode of season two, a story about a castle in Austria during World War II where a very strange set of alliances becomes an incredible story. Now, uh, I should drop a few disclaimers before we dive right in. First and foremost, this is from many years ago. And to be honest, the show was still kind of getting its rhythm. So it might be a little different in the way that I am presenting the story, maybe less scripted and more off the cuff. And our equipment back then wasn't nearly as good. So the audio quality is not going to sound as good as the current shows do, which is annoying, despite the fact that I love this episode so much. You may once in a while hear references to something called cool Canadian history. And for those of us who have joined this show in the last few years, you might not know that originally this show was called cool Canadian history. We did a name change several seasons back. Now, besides all of that, this is an incredible story. Effectively, we're going to go back to Austria and the ending weeks of the Second World War. And what we have is a castle, Castle at Eter, where a bunch of high-profile allied prisoners or prisoners of war are kept. And in the final weeks of the war, these prisoners end up fighting a battle against murderous, roving bands of SS soldiers. Now, what makes this story so weird is that Other SS soldiers decide to join the prisoners in fighting against other SS soldiers. That's right. You have SS fighting SS, some on the side of the Allies, some still believing in the power of the Third Reich. And then after all of that is said and done, you have an American military force barreling down on the castle. It is quite the tale. So here we go all the way back from season two, episode one, the strangest tale of the second world war, 
the battle for Castle Eater holiday reboot. If someone told you that there was a moment in the Second World War where multinational prisoners of war, American soldiers, uh, German soldiers united together to fight off Nazi SS soldiers, would you believe them? Well, as weird as that story sounds, that is the Battle of Castle Eter. Now, I should give a little disclaimer before we continue. This is not necessarily a Canadian history story. This is an incredible story of the Second World War, perhaps the most incredible story I've ever heard of the Second World War. There is a very unique and interesting Canadian connection, though, so using that very unique and interesting Canadian connection, I have decided to make this the opening episode. So let's get started. Castle Eter is a castle near the town of Eter in Austria. And in 1940, after Austria became part of the Nazi Empire, a process known as Anschluss, the castle was leased to the German government by its owner. And this was basically used for the Nazi administration of the occupied region in Austria. Now, in classic Nazi fashion, local SS officials grew tired of paying for it and outright seized the castle in 1943, converting it into a prisoner of war camp. But this was no ordinary POW camp. It was specifically designed for high-profile French prisoners. So who were some of these high-profile French prisoners? We have world-famous tennis star Jean Barotra. We have a couple of former French prime ministers, Edouard Ladier, and former French prime minister Paul Reynaud. And this was actually the man who refused to surrender France to Nazi Germany. There were also a couple of former commanders-in-chief of the French Armed Forces. We have a well-known French right-wing political leader named Francois de la Roque, who was actually a closet French resistance leader. The prisoner of war camp even included the elder sister of Charles de Gaulle. Along with these VIP prisoners, there were many, many more. Um, a large number of them were Eastern European prisoners. These Eastern European prisoners were brought in to do maintenance and sort of keep the place running. So we have a weird situation uh, in Castle Eater, where we have VIP French prisoners who are guarded by the SS, with also a mixed bag of Eastern European prisoners thrown in there for maintenance and daily purposes. So let's fast forward to early May 1945. The entire Third Reich is collapsing. Berlin is under siege. Hitler had killed himself on 30th of April, and all throughout the territories still controlled by the Nazis, SS soldiers are carrying out brutal vengeance campaigns. Basically, if the Nazis are going to lose, they're going to try to take out as many enemies as they can. This means brutal murders of innocent civilians or anyone deemed not appropriate for the Nazi state that is crumbling around them. Okay, so right here we need to do some distinguishing between the SS and the rest of the German forces, because up to this point I've kind of intermingled uh, these terms. Now, the German military, so this is the German, sort of the big German armed forces, they're called the Wehrmacht. This is like your regular army guys. Now, many of them are, of course, members of the Nazi party, but it is important to distinguish that not all soldiers in the Wehrmacht are members of the Nazi party, though it is important to understand that the Wehrmacht is certainly fighting for the Nazi state. Now, the SS are a little bit different. 
The SS are a paramilitary organization that are devoutly loyal to Hitler and to the Nazi regime. In many ways, to simplify, these are the real bad guys, ideological fanatics who owe their allegiance to Hitler and to his disciples in this sort of Nazi hierarchy. Though the SS and Wehrmacht certainly worked together to try to achieve Hitler's goals for Germany, there is an important ideological divide between the two. One, the SS essentially being more fanatical than the other, the Wehrmacht. Now this is gross oversimplification, but it allows us to easily understand the events that will unfold in the rest of this story. You see, in the chaos of the final days of the war, the tensions between the two units, the SS and the Wehrmacht, were becoming very clear. The Wehrmacht is struggling with their loyalty to Germany the state over the Nazis. The SS is struggling with their loyalty to Nazism before loyalty to Germany the state. And it's also important to understand that not every soldier in the Wehrmacht was German. There were Poles, Ukrainians, Austrians, Czech, and many, many more. So some Wehrmacht units in the dying days of the Third Reich may be looking towards home more so than continuing the fight on behalf of Hitler's Nazi vision or Hitler's Nazi Germany. So let's go back to Austria in early May 1945. All throughout Austrian towns, like in many other places throughout the remaining Nazi-controlled territory in Europe, the SS are carrying out brutal acts against local people, suspected resistance members, prisoners of war, even people of non-German ethnicity. All of these are being rounded up and shot indiscriminately, sort of one last attempt by the SS to strike at the enemies of Nazism. Now, very much the prisoners at Castle Ito were concerned that they would too see the same fate. They were worried that as these sort of French VIPs, these, these symbols of French resistance to Nazi rule and to Vichy France and Vichy rule, uh, they were worried that they too would be rounded up and shot in this sort of brutal campaign of revenge and, and, and violence. Now, the prisoners were also very much aware that there were American soldiers nearby, liberating vast territories of formerly Nazi-held Europe. There was also nearby Austrian resistance groups who were now taking charge of towns, and they were taking charge of these villages and towns in the region, frankly, to protect people from SS reprisals. Simply put, if the prisoners could either get a hold of the Americans or the Austrian resistance, perhaps they could establish some sort of dialogue and maybe bring protection in for them. So with this in mind, on the 3rd of May, a Yugoslavian prisoner named Vonimir Chukovic escaped the prison in order to make contact with either the Americans or the Austrian resistance. Now, shortly after he escaped, the camp commander and most of the SS guards who were sort of in charge and running Castle Eater decided to flee. Now, why would they have decided to flee? Well, simply put, morale was extremely low amongst the men that were guarding the prisoners. The Third Reich was falling apart, and many of these men just wanted to go home. More specifically, the camp commander, a man named Sebastian Wiemer, feared for his own life were he to fall into the hands of the Austrian resistance or even American soldiers. You see, Wiemer was not only an SS officer, but he had worked at several Nazi concentration camps, including the one at Dachau. Thus, by the morning of the 4th of May, the prisoners found themselves without any guards. They immediately broke into the armory, armed themselves, and the castle was now in the hands of the former prisoners of the SS. Curious Canadian history. We'll be back after the break. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Meanwhile, the countryside had erupted into chaos. Roving bands of SS were attacking villages and killing civilians. Numerous groups were spotted out on the roads, and it was only a matter of time, the prisoners felt, before the SS ended up at the infamous Castle Eater. Now, unbeknownst to everybody within the castle, Chukovic was able to find an advanced U.S. detachment from the 103rd Infantry Division. He had made it clear to the Americans that not only were there VIP prisoners in Castle Eater, but these prisoners were extremely vulnerable as roving bands of SS were sort of looting and destroying the Austrian countryside. Unfortunately, the 103rd was unable to dispatch troops to execute the relief of the castle. Back at the prison, however, nobody knew that Chukovic had contacted the Americans. And panicking and worried for their own safety, they decided to send out another prisoner to go get help. This man was named Andreas Krobot. He was a Czech prison cook. He was attempting to locate help in the countryside, and he jumped over the walls, and he sort of heads off into the countryside, where he sees numerous incidents of SS soldiers shooting civilians. In fact, it was common for the SS to walk into a village that had put up the white flag, and then to begin destroying homes and shooting the civilians. Nonetheless, at a small town called Vorgo, Krobot was able to find the help he desperately sought. This was in the form of the Austrian resistance. And incredibly, the Austrian resistance that Krobot found was actually allied with soldiers from the Wehrmacht. These Wehrmacht soldiers had abandoned the German cause and actually thrown themselves in with the Austrian resistance. And their leader's name was Major Josef Gangel. Now, Gangel had very little men, and he was hesitant to use them all in what seemed like a suicidal defense of the castle. At the same time, the Austrian resistance was reluctant to weaken their own manpower in the village. This might, of course, threaten the lives of the civilians they were trying to protect from SS units that were sort of pushing out into the countryside and looking to reoccupy villages. Simply put, Major Josef Gangel's only serious hope in defending the castle was in finding some Americans to join with him. This way, he would have a larger group to relieve the castle while also ensuring that the village that he was in was being protected. Thus, Gangel sent out with Crobot to find the Americans, and at a small town nearby, he found the perfect man for the job. This man's name was Captain Jack Lee of the 23rd Tank Battalion, 12th Armored Division. So we can imagine a pretty weird situation here. Captain Jack Lee encounters a Wehrmacht major, who surrenders to him and then tells him that he's been allied with the Austrian resistance trying to protect a village from roving bands of SS and now would like to ally with the Americans to go to Castle Eater and protect some French VIP prisoners. Now, despite how weird this story must have sound, Jack Lee did not hesitate. Probably much to Gangel's surprise, Lee said, let's do it. Now, after a quick reconnaissance where they sort of sorted out the situation, took a look at the castle, a look at the SS units in the countryside, Lee, Gangel, and a mixed bag of U.S., German, and Austrian soldiers, so about roughly 20 to 30 men, set out for the castle. Now, on their way, they encountered a small party of SS soldiers who they got into a gunfight with, but they defeated and were able to push on towards the castle itself. 
Lee was once again thrown for a spin, however, when he arrived at the castle and saw that an SS officer was organizing the defense of the castle. That's right. An SS officer had taken charge of the defense of the castle with the prisoners inside and had organized the defense of it. You see, while Gangle and Lee had been figuring out a way to get to the castle, the prisoners had gone and requested help from a man named Kurt Siegfried Schrader. Now, Schrader was an SS officer. For all intents and purposes, he was a bad dude. He had been wounded in battle and was convalescing in a village nearby. And during his convalescence, he made frequent trips to the castle where he befriended many of the prisoners. They thus asked him out of friendship to organize the defenses of the castle, and amazingly, Schrader agreed. So here is the situation by sunset on May 4th. You have a castle full of French VIP and Eastern European prisoners, nominally commanded by an SS officer whom they befriended. They are now joined by a small American contingent, a small Austrian resistance contingent, and a small group of Wehrmacht soldiers who had essentially deserted their cause. All of these men are now stuck inside the castle, ready to defend it against SS soldiers who have pretty much surrounded their position. I am pretty sure that in the history of the Second World War, there has never been such a case of strange bedfellows. Now, Lee, when he arrived, took overall command of the defenses, and every person within the castle was put to work to prepare for what they all assumed would be an eventual assault by the SS. Meanwhile, an SS reconnaissance force began to probe the castle for weaknesses, and all through the night of May 4th, small-scale attacks were launched by the SS as they sought to gauge the strength of the castle. Now, by the morning of the 5th of May, an all-out attack was launched by an SS force numbering somewhere between 150 to 200 men. The fighting was intense. Major Joseph Gangel was shot and killed while attempting to move former French Prime Minister Paul Reynaud away from danger. Lee's Sherman tank, the only tank the defenders had, was knocked out of action during this attack. The situation itself was becoming very desperate, and Lee needed reinforcements. This was where former French tennis star Jean Barotra volunteers. He offered to leave the safety of the castle and go and find Lee's comrades. Barotra was able to climb the wall while it was under fire. One story actually says he pole vaulted over it, and he was able to get through the SS lines. Now, how did he get through the SS lines while they were attacking this castle? Well, apparently he had dressed in the rags of an Austrian farmer, and in fact, the story goes that when an SS soldier saw him, he bent down to pick up some herbs and then relieved himself on a nearby tree. He then waved at the SS soldiers who waved back, and Barotra went on his way. Incredibly, Barotra found the reinforcements who were actually already on their way to relieve the castle. These were men of the 142nd Infantry Battalion of the 36th Division. Now here is where the Canadian connection comes in. Attached to G Company of the 142nd Infantry Battalion was a young French-Canadian war correspondent. This young man had actually asked if he could accompany the unit on its relief of Castle Eater, and thus reported on the whole event. This young man was none other than future Quebec Premier and founder of the Parti Québécois, René Lévesque. He had a front-row seat to one of the strangest stories of the Second World War. 
So on their way to the castle are the reinforcements from the 142nd, accompanied by René Levesque and Jean Barotra, who had actually discarded his Austrian farmer rags for an American uniform. And these reinforcements arrived in the nick of time. Just as the SS were closing in on Castle Eder, they were suddenly smashed from the rear by this reinforcement force. The entire SS force was either captured or killed, and by 4 p.m. on the 5th of May, Castle Eder and the men inside were officially safe. Now, though Major Gangel died saving Prime Minister Reynaud's life, he was actually honored as an Austrian war hero. Uh, a street in the town of Vorgel is actually named after him. Captain Jack Lee's defense of the castle would earn him the Distinguished Service Cross. Uh, the story goes that when Lee finally met the officer in charge of the reinforcements to the castle, his only words were, What took you so long? I want to thank you all for listening today. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter at Doc Boris. That's at D O C B O R Y S. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. And you can find us on all podcast listening devices. And please do not hesitate to write and leave a comment. We love to hear from you. I'm David Boris. Stay curious, friends.